So Exodus chapter 1. This morning we are going to focus on verses 15 to 22, but Elsbeth's going to read starting in verse 8. So Exodus chapter 1, <clears throat> beginning in verse 8. John, is that a good height for you? Yeah. Okay. Okay, Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and, if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is the word of the Lord. What do you fear? What do you fear? Of all the things on the list, what do you fear most of all? Do you fear God? Do you fear God? Does the fear of God play any part in your daily life? in the places you go, in the things that you do, what role does the fear of God play in that? What role does the fear of God play in your thought life? What, what kind of things will you entertain or not entertain because of the fear of God? How, how does the fear of God inform your use of entertainment? Are there things that you will watch or won't watch because of the fear of God? How does the fear of God impact what you say? Are there things that you will say or won't say because of the fear of God? Are there conversations that you'll entertain with people or not entertain with people because you fear God? 
Do you fear God? Are there things you will not do, places you will not go, thoughts you will not entertain, websites you won't go to, Netflix you won't watch, things you won't buy, relationships you will cultivate, sacrifices you will make, and risks you will take because you fear God? Do you fear God? The the main verse, the controlling verse, I think, in this whole story is found in verse 17. It's circled in my Bible if you want to box it in. It just says this, And the midwives feared God. I mean, the thread through this whole section is all about fear. We're going to see Pharaoh has some fears, and the midwives have some fears, and it's as if God, through Moses, is inviting us to compare these two types of fears to see where we fall so that we can answer the question honestly this morning, do I fear God? Do I fear him? This verse gets repeated again of this thought in verse 21, where it says a second time, and because the midwives feared God. And so we're going to look at some things about the king and his fears, and we're going to sort of compare them to the fears of the midwives. And so we're going to walk through really a theme of fear this morning, and particularly the fear of God. And so you're taking notes. The first observation really from this passage is this, that fear really is the controlling factor. Fear runs through this entire passage. It functions all over the place. If you didn't notice in verse 11, it is out of fear that Pharaoh afflicts the people, right? We're told in verse 10 that he's afraid. God's people are so many now that he's afraid that if an enemy comes and attacks them, that all of Israel will join their enemy and destroy them. And so he's afraid of that. And so he puts them under deep persecution. But that doesn't work. So in verses 13 and 14, he ratchets up the oppression. So in verse 16, he goes and he tells these midwives to kill all the male babies. Kill all the males. And he says that out of fear. This won't be the last time in redemptive history that we see a king killing all the male babies out of fear, is it? But out of fear of God, the midwives in verse 17 don't obey King Pharaoh. And so in response, out of fear in verse 22, he now commands his own people to throw all the baby boys into the Nile River. So so fear seems to be controlling thoughts and emotions and driving decisions in this story. Everyone is motivated by some sort of fear. Pharaoh fears the people, but the midwives, they fear God. Pharaoh and the midwives believe certain things to be true that inform how they feel, that that informs their behavior and their actions. Are you aware of what fears control you? Are you aware of it? So we all have some kind of fears, and those fears often come out in how I behave, in things I do, things I say, and things I won't do or won't say. Fears can have a long, long variety of options. Letting others down, being alone can be a fear, financial loss, strangers, 
Un- the unknown can bring us fear. Sickness, the thought of sickness, death can make us fearful. You see, we, we all fear something or someone, and that motivates us to the things we will or will not do, to the things we give time to or not give time to. And in this story, we see these midwives giving their fear first and foremost to God. And so that's the second thing we see in this story. The midwives fear God more than King Pharaoh. And that's the second part of verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. Now you got to drop yourself down into this story. This is the beauty of especially Exodus because it's so vivid and there's so much action and so much going on. You got to drive yourself down in there and put yourself in the place of these midwives. I mean, they had a lot more to be afraid of than just God. They had more to fear than God, did they not? I mean, Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the kingdom. I mean, he's thought of as a god. So in their mind, to disobey Pharaoh is to disobey their God. So these midwives take some crazy, insane risk to disobey the command of Pharaoh. I mean, it's insane. I mean, to disobey disobey Pharaoh is a death wish. The only outcome is death if you directly disobey the command of King Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And then there was the day when Pharaoh called them into his office, called them into his palace. And that had to be terrifying. I mean, you can imagine what they were going through. They must have seen Pharaoh's face every time they let a baby boy live. They must have had nightmares of the day that Pharaoh would go, there's an awful lot of baby boys around here. (laughs) They must have lived in fear. Honestly, they must have lived in terror every day over the idea that one day Pharaoh would figure out that they directly disobeyed their commands. I can almost see them holding hands as they walk the dusty road headed into Pharaoh's quarters so he can call them out on their disobedience. For years, they have feared this moment. But their fear of God usurped that moment, didn't it? For years, they had that inward battle. Obey Pharaoh, obey God, and and live or die. Disobey Pharaoh and certainly die. Back and forth, they must have gone. But the greater fear of fearing God controlled their behavior all the way into the presence of the king. And I was thinking about this. You know, they don't really even know God. What do they know of God? Almost nothing. They know the stories that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Rachel and Rebecca have passed down through the generations. They, They have no command from God about killing people yet. So they don't know any of this. Yet there's something in them that knows this is right and this will please God. And so they take the risk and they fear God from the little bit of his character that they know and disobey Pharaoh. In a sense, they they valued God more than Pharaoh. 
They treasured God more than Pharaoh. They, they trusted God and loved God more than they wanted to obey Pharaoh's command. And because of this, third thing in this passage, the midwives feared God and God dwelt, dealt with them well. He dealt with them well and with the people well. So in verse 20, it says, so God dealt well with the midwives. You see that? Now what I love is I think Moses is inviting us to, to compare this and contrast this to verse 10. What does it say about Pharaoh in verse 10? What does he say? Come let us deal shrewdly. So while Pharaoh is on a mission to deal shrewdly, what is God doing in verse 20? He's dealing well. He's dealing well. It's almost like, Pharaoh, whatever you do, I'm going to one-up you. You deal shrewdly, I'm going to deal well with them. You deal worse, I'm going to deal even better. And I see four ways that Pharaoh, that God, uh, deals well with them. There's four ways that he deals well with these midwives and with God's people. The first is, perhaps the most miraculous of all of them, God protects the midwives from Pharaoh. He protects them from Pharaoh. This is insane. These two midwives walk into Pharaoh's presence. They directly have disobeyed his commands. And then they leave his presence unscathed. They don't get put in jail. They don't get beat. They don't get beheaded. They literally walk into his presence, confess, didn't do what you told us to do. And then they walk out. I mean, is that not a miracle? I mean, that, that's the biggest miracle maybe in the whole book of Exodus. <laughs> How the heck did that happen? There's only one answer. God. God was protecting them. So that's the first, that's the first thing that God does in dealing well with them. The second thing he does is he honors them by revealing their names. He reveals their names. Sifra and Pua. Maybe not the names you'd pick for your kids. Sifra and Pua. God shares their names with us. Do you know whose name we don't know? Pharaoh's name. Do you know whose name we never find out through the whole story? Pharaoh's name. Historians say there may be two or three different if I did my homework right, you can maybe find something else different. The homework I did a little bit was, there may have been two different, three different pharaohs. They don't know which one it was. We don't even know which one it is, and no name is given, but, but we get the name of these two midwives to preserve in all of history as these two women who feared God. <laughs> we get the names of the, of the brothers in verse 5, so we know all the names of the brothers, but then there's this transition, right, from a family, God is having a family, to God taking a people, and now it's, God wants us to know that Sifra and Pua are part of the people of God. They're, they're part, of the, part of the party. They're, they're part of this kingdom that God is going to build, and so God honors them by giving us their names. They have names. God knows them, and I love this because we saw it last week. We're going to talk about it again this morning. God is now bringing, bringing, building a people. Yet even though he's building a people, he still knows everybody's name. And I love that. Because prior to this, we got told name after name after name, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We learned all the brothers. We learned kids' names. We learned all these names. 
you get to Exodus 1, and now it's not going to be families anymore. It's going to be a whole people of Israel. But God still knows names. I mean, that should encourage us this morning, right? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're a people of God's own possession. All of us together, but God knows our names. He knows what's going on individually in your life not just corporately as a group of people. That is good news. That's something you need to remember. God knows you. God knows you by name. So that's the second thing. The third thing, it says that God gave them families. God gave the midwives families. If you look at verse 21, he says, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Because of their fear, he gave them families. Now I have to assume then that prior to this, they didn't have families, right? I don't know what the reasons were, but they didn't have, family, have any family prior to this. Maybe they weren't able to have children prior to this. But because they feared God, God gives them children. God gives them life. And you have to pause for a moment and think about what should have happened to them in light of what they're getting. Instead of facing Pharaoh's death sentence they experience God's life-giving blessing. (laughs) It's ironic. It's God flipping the whole thing on top of Pharaoh. Instead of them experiencing death at the hands of Pharaoh, they're experiencing new babies at the hands of God. I mean, every turn, God is just slapping Pharaoh, going, I've got this. There's nothing you can do to my people that is not part of my plan. And so they get blessed. I can, I can almost see them. I was imagining this morning. I can see them rocking their babies, laughing, going, we should have died. We should have died. Do you remember how we were shaking before Pharaoh, thinking our lives were over? We thought we'd never have kids. And now here we are, rocking our babies, unscathed. Only God could do that. They must have celebrated God's kindness to them. Now, side note, there are some theologians, pastors, that believe that Sifra and and, uh, Pua were dishonest, and therefore they sinned, right? They get called into Pharaoh's presence, and Pharaoh says, why are there all these little boys running around? And some think the response should have been, well, we fear God and not you. But instead, what do they say? Well, Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They're just popping babies out left and right. Before we can even get there, babies are coming out. Babies are coming out on the bathroom floor. We just can't get there in time. And so some say, well, then they lied and and they, they should not have done that. But I just want to point out that nowhere in the text does it say that God was displeased with them. Rather, it says that God dealt well with them in at least the three ways that I just pointed out to us. And not just in those three ways, but it seems like God blesses all the people and makes them multiply and strong because of their fear. Seems like their fear is now blessing all of God's people. Let me show you where I see that. If you look at verses 20 and 21, look at the way that the, the, the sentences are formed. Look at the way it goes back and forth. It says in verse 20, so God dealt well with the midwives. And then it says, and the people multiplied and grew strong. And then it goes back to midwives. And because the midwives fear God, he gave them families. To me, that's out of order. 
Why stick the people part between the midwives part? And I think it's because God is blessing the people, multiplying them, making them strong because of the midwives fearing God. Now, of course, there's a practical side of that. Of course, they multiplied and grew strong. They were having more babies that weren't dying because the midwives weren't killing them. But I wonder if there was more even going on than that. See, I think as I study God's word, as I've lived with Christians for a while, that it seems like God often does bless a group based on the fear of one person. You ever been there? You ever been in a group and you find one person who's fearing God and as a result of that, a whole group of people are blessed, encouraged, making better decisions? I have. I have. And so I think their fear of God, they're, they're, they're bold. I mean, these are bold women. Grabbing a whole, I, would, I, don't know if I, would, I don't know if I would do this. I mean, this, this takes boldness. They don't have the spirit of God poured out on them like I do. Unless God did something unique that we don't know about. And yet they defied Pharaoh. And now all of God's people seem to be blessed. They're multiplying and they're growing strong. I think what we fear as individuals can have an impact on everyone. On everyone. And I also want us to notice once again that when a Pharaoh oppresses the people, that the people grow and multiply. In verse 20. I mean, this is the pattern. If you want to look at the structure of the way Moses writes this. Sorry, side note, can't wait till later. So Moses is going to get trained in the best schools in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house. There's a, isn't this ironic? So that he will become a really good writer. Any idea why God might set him up for that? <laughs> and so the way this story is written is brilliant. Look, look at, look at, I think we have a slide, the pattern. The people are fruitful in increase. So then Pharaoh deals, deals shrewdly and afflicts them. Then in verse 12, the people multiply and spread even more. So Pharaoh makes their lives bitter and commands baby boys to die. But the people grow and multiply more. And then in verse 22, Pharaoh commands that boys be thrown into the Nile. Do you see the back and forth? It's like a chess game. Every time Pharaoh makes a move, God makes a better move. Every time Pharaoh tries to do something, God jumps in and, and multiplies and helps the people to stay strong in the middle of their opposition. It's amazing. It's amazing what God does. And the point of all of this, so the, the, the point, I think, of all of this, again, is God saying and, and, and fulfilling his mission. This is, this is God fulfilling his mission in Exodus. He's beginning to do it, where he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You're going to be mine, and I'm going to be yours. That's the mission God is on in this book. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And this story makes it clear right out of the gate that God is making them his, not Pharaoh. They're not Pharaoh's people. Pharaoh may have them as slaves, but they belong to God. So I think that's what he's doing here doesn't matter what Pharaoh does, you are going to be my people, and I will be your God. And I think Sifra and Pua are showing us what it looks like for God to be your God. They're fulfilling the second part of the command of God's mission. They're showing us that for God to be your God, you must fear God. 
For God to be your God, you must fear God over Pharaoh. That's what it means for God to be your God. So we thank Sifra and Pua this morning. We honor them for their faithfulness, for their example to us, for their boldness, for showing us that there's a lot of risk sometimes in fearing God. And so I bring the message full circle. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? Now I'm guessing that even after I asked this question the first time, that some of you had questions in your own head. Questions like, should I fear God? I thought Jesus died so I wouldn't have to fear God anymore. I didn't think I was supposed to be afraid of God at all. This passage is not talking about being afraid of God. This passage is talking about fearing God. And I think this story paints a pretty vivid picture of what it means to fear God. To fear God is to do what God wants above what others want. To fear God is to make decisions based on what God loves and not even what I love. To fear God is to value God's ways over my ways. To fear God is to value God's ways over the world's ways. To fear God is to live for God even when the stakes are very high. The story paints a pretty vivid picture of it, live and in action. But I want to take a minute this morning and I want to show you some more places in Scripture that talk about the fear of God. There's a lot more in God's Word about the fear of God than I think I originally thought before this week began. So I began to look at all the scriptures that talk about the fear of God and what it means to fear God. Forget the exact number of verses. I think it's over 150 verses on the fear of God. And so what I want to do is you have a handout this morning, and I'm not going to read all the verses on the handout, but I want to take a few minutes and walk you through some of them, and here's why. I want, I want you to have the beginning, because you're not going to get this this morning, and I don't get it this morning. I want you to have something to help set your heart in motion this week that you can spend some time considering what does it mean to fear God? How does God define fearing God? And what does it look like in my own life to fear God? And so, obviously, the sheet of paper you have is front and back. There aren't 150 verses on there, so you are free to look all 150 up and read them. I had to sift through them and try to pick which ones I thought would help us the most this morning. Those are the ones on your sheet. Some of them are going to tell us fruit of fearing God. So some of them we're going to look at are going to talk about this is the result of fearing God. If you fear God, here's what's going to happen. And others talk about how do I have a fear of God? What will, what will cultivate in my heart a deeper fear of God? Does that make sense? So we're going to look at both. We're going to, they're not in any order, so we're going to go back and forth. But I want you to pretend for a moment that you know nothing about the fear of God, 
And you're going to look at these and say, okay, what, how would I build a definition, a functioning definition of fear of God from these verses? That's what we're going to do together. And I may call on some of you to answer questions. I wouldn't call on anybody, but I'll throw out things that I want you to be engaged. So on your, on your sheet, we have some, some verses. So I go backwards into Genesis first, and then I work forward from Exodus. Remember we talked about this? When you, you're in God's Word and you come to something, you go... I want to know more what this is about. What do you do? Yeah, you don't Google it. You good. You go to context. You guys are good. So you, so you read the rings around it, right? And so that's what I did. I started going backwards first into Genesis and then forward into Exodus. So, so far in Genesis, here are some of the things we know about the fear of God. This is the first verse on your sheet. Genesis 20, verses 10 and 11. Um, remember, Abraham lies about uh, Sarah being his wife. He says, no, she's my sister. So this is that story. It says, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see? Notice, Abraham, what did you see in us that made you lie to me? That you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. So what does fear of God do in this, in this verse? If fear of God is functioning, what happens? They wouldn't kill him. Okay, so I know this is maybe very basic, but someone who really feels God doesn't kill people. Maybe we can broaden it. Fear of God impacts how we treat other people. Fear of God impacts how we treat other people. All right, so we go into Genesis 22. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Remember, this is Abraham. He has his knife over Isaac. Remember when we studied this together? But the angel of the Lord called to him, to Abraham from heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you would not withhold your son, your only son, from me. What does that tell us about fearing God? You obey God. Let's take it a little step further. Let's get into our hearts. You trust him. You don't idolize anything above him. You love nothing above God. That's what God says. I know now that you, you, you love God more than anything. You treasure God more than anything. You value God more than anything that you would give up the thing that is closest to your heart. Genesis 42, 18. On the third day, so Joseph is with his brothers, remember the whole back and forth with his brothers, telling them, if you, when you come back, I'm going to do, I'll, I'll release one of, the, one of the brothers. He says, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this, bring him back, and you will live, for I fear God. You guys remember enough of the story to know what's going on there? What is fearing God doing there? Why is Joseph throwing out the fearing God thing? He gave his word. I fear God, therefore I'm going to be truthful. I'm a man of my word. I'm going to be honest because I fear God. So someone who fears God is honest. There's the fruit of honesty. All right, next one. This one has to do with, the, with cause. What will cause us to fear God? It says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Spoiler alert. 
If you don't want to know and you don't know what happens, just la, 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 and I'll keep reading. Put your earbuds in or something. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. What caused them to fear God? They saw his power. They saw, they beheld God's power firsthand. His miraculous power. His infinite power. His power over the most mighty army that there was. And as a result, they feared God. Seems that observing the great power of God is sort of the the ground in our hearts that then fear grows out of. Does that make sense? We, we, we see the power of God, and that cultivates fear in our hearts when we see his power. This morning I went outside on my deck, and the moon was out. You guys, I, I get up extra early on, I know you guys get up early every day, I get up extra early on just Sundays, and the moon was crazy bright this morning. And I stood on my deck, I just looked at it, I was like, dang, look at that thing. I had to Google how far away is that, because I didn't know. You guys all know, right? Like 200, and you, I think you spit it out exactly, 200, no, I, I just, oh, 248,000 miles away or something. Anyway, crevices and brightness. I'm going, wow, what a God. Like his power was seen in that. And there was a sense of me feeling very small and God seeming very big, which in a sense was me fearing God for who he was and what he does each day in raising the sun and the moon. Next one, Exodus 20. Moses says to the people, Do not fear. I love the wording. For God has come to test you that the fear of him. So don't fear in general. Don't fear because you're being tested. But why? That the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So what does the fear of God do? Yeah, it protects us from sinning. Right? It keeps us from sinning. Leviticus 25. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear the Lord. So what does fearing the Lord do? Yeah, you treat people differently. If you fear God, it's going to impact how you treat other people. I love this next one. This one fills it out for me. This one was like a, oh, now I'm seeing more about what it means to fear God verse. This one really helped. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, he is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Sandwiched in the middle of this is, he is to be feared above all gods. And wrapped around it, like bacon around a pork loin, (laughs) are all the reasons why we are to fear him. 
it broadens my understanding of fear. Why do I fear him? Well, verse 2 tells us, because of his salvation, I fear him. Verse 3, because of his marvelous works. Verse 4, because he's great, I fear him. Verse 5, because he made the heavens, I fear him. Verse 6, because splendor and majesty are before him and he has all strength and all beauty. And because of all of that, I fear him. Do you see how this is not a trembling, a cowering, a, oh no, God's going to get me? This is a, wow, (laughs) look at God. Look at him. We, we fear him because of his wonderful salvation. He is marvelous in works. He is great. He has made all things. He's beautiful. Meaning he has everything within himself that you crave. The beauty of God is he has everything you could ever desire. All the things that you want, he has them all within himself to meet your every need. And so we fear him. We're in awe of him. We're, we're shocked by him and his greatness. The next one here is Psalm 119. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Why do we fear God? He keeps his promises. He makes promises. <laughs> no one's, he's not obligated to make promises. Reality check. He's not obligated, but he does. And once he does, he keeps them all. Every one. He's to be feared. Have you ever tried to keep a promise? Look, if you're a parent, you know you've, you've blown it. You know you've made a promise that you didn't keep. God is to be feared because if he makes a promise, oh, he's going to do it. He keeps all his promises. Psalm 130 is next. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities... O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Doesn't that just sound backwards to you? (laughs) I'm like, maybe that's a misprint. Maybe this is a a mistake in our Bible. It ain't. I'm fearing God because he forgives me. I'm not fearing him because he doesn't forgive me. I'm fearing him because he forgives me over and over and over and over and over again. He's to be feared because of it. Proverbs 14 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. The fountain of life. I have never, before I read that verse this week, thought, fear of the Lord, fountain of life. That's how it's defined. You fear God, there's going to be a fountain of life. Proverbs 19 The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. Rests satisfied. Sometimes I'll take a verse like that and flip it and reverse it. Invert the psalm. Negate it. Negate this with me. If it says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, flip it over. What is the opposite of that? Yeah, yeah, not fearing God is a fountain of death. It's a fountain of death. What about the next line? Whoever has it rests satisfied. So whoever doesn't have, have it, yeah, they don't, they're never satisfied. 
they need more and more and more and more and more. And they crave and they crave and they crave. And they're restless all the time. So the sense in which fearing God brings rest. It brings satisfaction to your soul. So fearing God then really is finding satisfaction and rest that leads to life. It leads to life. All right, you still tracking with me? Are we awake enough? Can I do a couple more? So I coupled the next ones together. They're all from the New Testament. It's probably the same story. I'm not 100% sure whether this happened two or three times or just once, but it's recorded this way. If you look at the three Gospels, this is Jesus calming the storm with a word. And the disciples' response is different yet the same in each account. In Matthew, it says, after Jesus calmed the storm, they marveled. In Mark, it says, they were filled with great fear. And then Luke peeks over both of their shoulders and says, they were afraid and they marveled. So there's a sense in which when you fear God, or you will fear God, when you see God's power over creation in a way that makes you marvel, You ever marvel over God? That's fearing God. It's fearing him when we marvel. We stand amazed. We admire him for who he is and what he has done. I'm going to skip the next one for the sake of time. I encourage you to read it this week. I'll skip for 2 Corinthians also. It goes back to promises. Let's jump to Isaiah Isaiah 11. You want to guess who this is about? Yeah, it's safe to say Jesus in church. (laughs) When I ask a question, you know it's either Jesus or the Bible, right? All right, let's read this together. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse 3. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus' delight was in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity For the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. In the middle of this, he delights, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And I think all the things surrounding this are informing us as to why. Why does Jesus delight in the fear of the Lord? Well, it's because the Lord is, back up to verse 2, wise and understanding. He gives good counsel and he's filled with might. He has knowledge. Look down at verse 4. He's the judge who judges with equity. He strikes the earth. He kills the wicked. He is righteous and he is faithful. And as if in this moment we're invited to stand in the middle of the Trinity to watch the Trinity delight in the Trinity together. 
to delight in the fear of the Trinity together. It's as if they're so amazing among each other that they stand there fearfully delighted about themselves. And then they invite us to be a part of it so we can join in their delight of fearing God. That's amazing. God knows God so well that he can't help but fearfully delight. And then he says, come on and join me and fearfully delight in us together. That is the beauty of fearing God. It is about a relationship. It's about seeing him for who he really is and having your heart stirred with such amazement that there's a fear that comes out of your heart. So let me ask you one last time. Do you fear God? It means something different now than it did before, I bet. But do you fear God? Do you fear him for his righteousness and his faithfulness? Do you supremely value him for his wisdom and his knowledge? Do you marvel at him over his authority over all creation? Do you find his promises knee-buckling? Are you amazed that he has ransomed you by the blood of Christ? Do you value and treasure and love God more than anything else? When we do, we are fearing God. Have you found the all-satisfying rest that comes from fearing God? Have you found the supreme life that comes from fearing God? Has fearing God produced in you a freedom from sin? Has the fear of God, is it controlling what you do and where you go? Is it controlling what you say and won't say, what you buy and won't buy, what you prioritize and won't prioritize, what you meditate on and what you won't meditate on? Is the fear of God functioning in your life? Maybe one last way to say it is this. If verse 17 were written about you, what would it say? And Matt feared God and did not... What would it say about you? And JT feared God and did not... And Rob feared God and did not... And Christine feared God and did not... And Luann feared God and did not... Put your name in there. What would it say? What do you want it to say? What is your biggest fear apart from God that needs to go in that blank? So this week, you can take steps to fear God more than anything else. To fear God more than anyone else. So that the fear of God will control you the way that it should. Bringing a fountain of life. Amen? I want you to take a minute, and I just want you to just... You can look at your notes. I just want you to consider this morning, what do you fear? And how does the fear of God speak to that fear? What do you fear? How could the fear of God speak to that fear? So just take a minute, and then we're going to sing a song together. But I want you just to, before we rush out, just consider how you fear God. And then we'll sing.